Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. Again, we've been going through the life of Jesus, and we are in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is basically divided into three parts. And we're in the, finishing up the second part of that uh, today as we're going through the fulfillment of the law. So we've gone through a lot of the different areas uh, that Jesus talked about as far as you've heard this about anger, or you heard this about lust, or you heard this about divorce, or you heard this about laying down your rights. But I say, and then he talks about how he fulfills the law, not changes it, but fulfills the law with the passion that's behind it uh, in our lives. Now, I'm going to skip one um, just because I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but you probably see the voice there where it says, you've heard it say that wives should be submissive to their husbands. And I say, that's right. Uh, so you can just apply that as you want. Um, no, I'm not. She knows it's coming. Okay, that might have been a lie. The pastor may have lied. It is in the THV, the Tom Hypes version, but it's not in the version we're reading. So, hmm? Not a sanctioned version? Let's turn to Corinthians, shall we? No, um, okay. So as we're going through these different ones, all of them really, to me, have been leading up to this one. Uh, that this is the one how we fulfill all of the others. It also, uh, today's will also serve as a launch pad for the next section, or the third section of the, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave, that is going to turn into our summer uh, series. And we'll, we'll be digging into that here in a couple of weeks, and we'll explain it as we get a little bit closer in. But this is the one that kind of seems to be the pivotal middle spot that brings it all together. So uh, we're going to start reading out verse 43. And this one truly will be read a little, talk a little, instead of the whole section. We're going to take this one in, in segments. Uh, verse 43, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And we're going to stop there because that, again, is a repeated pattern that he does through all these. You've heard it said in the law, this is what you're supposed to do. And then we go in the Old Testament and we see where it's in the law. And the closest that we have in this, uh, I'll give you an example, is um, like Leviticus 19.18. And for those of the nitpickers, Leviticus 19:18, where it says that you shall love your neighbors. The challenge is, this is the only one that's not 100% in the law. It does tell us in the law to love your neighbor. In no way, shape, or form do you ever see in the law that we're supposed to hate our enemies. That's never been part of God's plan. That's never been part of the system. So they've heard that, but that doesn't mean it came from the scripture. It tends to be that we as humans, a lot of times, will believe something so long for, because of our own outlooks, our own wants, our own desires, that we'll turn something into like it was scripture, but it's not. Like God helps those who help themselves, not in the scripture. It's just not. I mean, there's an element there that if you're a good steward of your health, you're a good steward of your finances, you're a good steward of your time, that things will go better. But again, sooner that doesn't mean you won't have a heart attack, won't mean that you won't have a family crisis, that God takes us through times that help us to preserve and uh, persevere and be able to mature in ourselves. It's not anywhere in there that says that God helps those who help himself. Um, amazing. Like if somebody, it's not as popular now, but the whole what would Jesus do stuff. It's amazing how many people assume what Jesus would do that is nowhere near anything he ever taught. Nothing that he ever did. Nothing, I mean, it's amazing to me how many people call themselves Christians that are Christ followers 
who have never done what we're doing right now, going through the life of Christ, to know what he said and what he did and how he handled himself and how he handled 100% love and 100% truth in a, a way that brought the change that, that God was doing through him. So it's, there's a lot of things that people assume Jesus would do that just not isn't in the character of Jesus. This is kind of one of those things that for so long they have boiled down love your neighbor to something that was manageable that they added to the scripture to make it something that wasn't. Because love your neighbor became who's my neighbor, right? And so it became how do I make this manageable because I don't want to love everybody. And so all of a sudden you have the Israelite people, the Jewish people saying, well, we're God's chosen people, Old Testament wise. So obviously my Jewish brothers, my Jewish sisters, they're my brother, my sister. But I guess that means that Gentiles aren't. And Roman soldiers, they definitely aren't. And tax collectors, my people who turn their back on us, they're definitely not neighbors, right? I don't have to like them. I definitely don't have to like Samaritans. There's half be between Jewish and Gentile. Again, if you're a Harry Potter person, uh, the muggles of the Old Testament world, right? These half-breeds that they didn't really want anything. There was a lot of racism, a lot of prejudice. So they have boiled it down to, I love you guys, but I don't have to love those people. And Jesus saying, you've heard that. Never from my father, but you've heard that. And then this is what he says to it, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons or daughters of your father who is in heaven. So this one, this is where the harmony of the Gospels, I think, is going to come into play to help us a little bit to, to dig into this more. If you would, put your finger here, because I'm coming back to it, but skip over to... to um, See where we're going. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. By the way, if you really want to get into that, here's my neighbor. More, a couple more chapters after that is the, uh, the, uh, the story of the uh, Good Samaritan that will get you a little bit deeper into those thought processes. But for today, Luke chapter 6. When I talk about the harmony of Gospels, again, Matthew wrote about the Gospel, Mark did, Luke did, uh, John did. Different ones have different purposes, different ones have different angles, different ones have different details. And I think Luke takes this particular teaching of Jesus just a little bit more, not much, but a little bit more, and expresses it out to challenge us a little bit in verse 27 of chapter 6. Again, this is still the Sermon of the Mount, just from Luke's uh, teaching. I say to you who hear, in other words, if you actually listen to this and actually follow it and actually dig into it, I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. To get the fullness of like taking this scripture and putting it like in the context of your life, uh, do me a favor, just take a second and think of somebody you do not like. I mean, really don't like, some people got it too quick. So, uh, someone you really do not like, you don't have to answer it out loud. If your spouse is the person, don't point. <laughs> Do not, do not say that loud. If your kid or your parent is, don't say that loud, but just grab them. You might have seven, eight, nine, ten to come real quick. I keep thinking about uh, Sheldon and his arch nemesis and Big Bang Theory. I don't know why. <laughs> but but get, that, get that in your head. And then ask yourself, when's the last time I blessed them? When is the last time that I did good to them? When's the last time I prayed for them? And then we start realizing why the crowd's getting really uncomfortable really quick. In the same way that I think that we should be getting uncomfortable really quick. Now, for some of us, we're thinking about abusers. Some of us are thinking about people that are just narcissistic or 
go off in majors or whatever the case would be. I, I don't think Jesus is teaching us here that we're not supposed to have healthy boundaries. But I can still love like Christ, even just in the prayer. The prayer is not that hard to be able to do, is it? Yes, it is, actually, emotionally. But he's trying to get us there. And the funny thing is, this is not his suggestion. This is his commandment. Amen? And so how do we start putting these things into place with that one person? You can do more than one if you want, but for me, more than one gets a little bit more complicated in my head. But who is it that I'm supposed to be doing good to? Who am I supposed to be blessing? Who am I supposed to be praying for, even though they're jerks? Even though they're jerks, what should we do there? So he's starting to get this kind of tore up a little bit. Now, if I go back to Matthew 5, he continues that verse uh, in verse 45 by uh, telling us why we should do it. For he, or God, makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and also the unjust. Basically, we're supposed to do this for one reason. We're supposed to be like Dad. We're supposed to be like Dad. We're his ambassadors, we're his children, we're his, his stewards, we're the voice, we're the church, we're the light on the city of the hill. The only reason we're supposed to do that is because Daddy does it. Now, um, we've had weather. We always have weather. I'm getting to not like Ohio. What happened to spring and fall? Honestly, you slap them together, you still don't get a season. But we've been getting rain. I've made no secret I'm a rain person. I love rain. Any other rain people? Okay, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, we all need to start hanging out because nobody else likes us um, <laughs> at all. Like, like, I love, 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 love rain. We, we had Friday morning... Again, a public thank you to Jeremiah for letting us borrow the cones that you see out there. Um, was working with um, Habitat for Humanity, and they were doing breakfast. Nicole came through. Don't tell them how lazy I looked. Uh, my, I, and I did look lazy. My station was to sit in the chair and to check to see if pre pre people prepaid or not. I did nothing. Um, but we were set up around the Mallard Square over there, and people drove up and whatnot. And when I got there at like 5.45, which, yes, there is a 5.45 in the morning. I learned that this week. Um, it was a nice shower. It was very beautiful outside. By 6.30, we started at 6, uh, it was coming down really hard. By 7, there was flooding about like this in the parking lot that we were working in. We were like trying to, we were the first station where they came in, so we were like drive as close to us as possible. They kept going out there in the lake, you know, just come over here as possible. And I was loving it. I was loving it. I said like inside the little garage door watching and stuff, nobody else liked it at all. But it was beautiful to me. Yesterday it was raining, Woke, got, you know, got up, went outside, sat on the deck, watched it rain on the pond, beautiful. Like, it doesn't get much better than sitting in a cabin on the Smoky Mountains, front porch, watching one of the Smoky Mountain rains coming in. I love it. But God doesn't just do it for Tom. Everybody gets rain, if you like it or not, because you need it. Some of you people are sunshine people. Mm-hmm. Hi, Amanda. And they wake up, and it's 80-some degrees outside, and can't wait to get outside in God's creation. It's so disgusting. <laughs> so hot. <laughs> and Glenn's like, I married into it. The <laughs> I know, baby. But the sun's for everybody, and not, not just, just for us. When it's raining for Tom, it's raining on my neighbor who despises the Lord, it spits in his face, and doesn't follow him in any way, shape, or form. When the sun's out, exact same thing for, for your neighbor, for your friend, for the person you don't like that's in your head. It's for all of us. It would be so odd if we're walking around and it's only raining on Christians. 
People would look at that very oddly. Maybe they would get some more attention out of it or whatnot. But he does what all of us need, no matter what we have, and that's what we're supposed to be doing for our Father. This is a huge challenge. Now, for the world, it's foolishness. Let's look at verse 46. He says, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Take note, he just mentioned to the people that were not their neighbors that they justified they don't have to like. The way you're living, you're no different than the people you don't like. That's the way, way that it's, it's moving forward to. This is foolishness to the way that the world goes. I, I, read a, uh, I was going back to some old notes and I came across a blog uh, where a guy was writing the top, like I think 50 things that a boy needs to know to become a man. And it wasn't like a Christian blog, it was like, you know, just a guy. And there was stuff like how to throw a punch. If you're going to be a man, you've got to learn how to throw a punch. Stop breaking your thumb, I guess. Uh, how to uh, not bully people, but stand up for yourself because nobody's going to trudge all over you and all these different things. And as I went through all of them, um, one of them was really kind of uncomfortable. It was uh, remember that women lie when they say they're on the pill. That's, that was very uncomfortable, but it was actually on his list. And I'm thinking, this guy probably does not get this. This guy would not understand this way of living at all. And I've had people come across scripture like this and think that Jesus is like, must be some kind of wuss. And I don't know, when Jesus is going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Pharisees and Sadducees in front of everyone and calling them a bod of vipers and calling them hypocrites, that doesn't seem very wuss-like to me. When he's taking and going into the temple and tearing apart the... The, the tables and getting, kicking the money changers out doesn't seem very wimp-like to me in any way, shape, or form. When he's taking the beating before the cross that would have killed most men and still carried the cross down and still was crucified. This is not a wimpy God that I serve. But he loves the Beatitudes. He fulfills the law. And there's a different way of living that we need to embrace instead of embracing the things of the world. Now, if that doesn't challenge you enough, uh, here comes verse 40, 48. And remember, these are not suggestions. They're commandments. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. That's all. That's the bar. <laughs> no, nothing hard. Now, I'm going to give you some Tom commentary on this. And as I always say, if it's scripture, you're stuck with it. If it's Tom commentary, think about it chew on a little bit. If it's for you, great. If not, that's fine. Um, I don't think what Jesus is saying here is you and I have to know every single detail. You have to do A and B and C and D and E and F and G, or else you're not a real true Christ follower, because that's what the law was. It was over 600 laws that they were following to be able to be perfect like God is perfect so that they could learn that you cannot be perfect like God is perfect. However, I can love like God. I can grow in my love like God to other people. I can be challenged by that person that I have inside my head to deeper love, to have a bigger impact of Christ in their life. Because if I don't have that kind of love, here's what I know is true. I'm not going to lead them to Jesus. I'm not. And that's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing here. That is the Great Commission to lead each other to the Lord, baptize one another in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to disciple one another, be a community, and help each other to grow in that kind of, that kind of love, and grow in that kind of following of Jesus. That's what perfection is. That's what we're growing in. Uh, there's four different words in the Greek um, 
for love, and I love that. That's one of the things I think other languages have on English, is uh, they they detail out things a little bit better than us. Uh, let's say, like for love in the English, that applies to so much stuff. You have to like put it into the context, like I love my wife and I love vanilla ice cream. You figure out which one I love more. No. <laughs> in all fairness, I am lactose intolerant, so yeah. So I guess about. Where the Greek has four, and they have different types of love built into it. One is eros, E-R-O-S. JT, if I mispronounce any of these, just let me know. <laughs> eros. And this one, actually, I should have you say because of our conversation earlier. Remember I said you guys were giving me material for the sermon? Yeah, you'll see right here in a second. Eros uh, is, is either sexual love or intimate love. Sexual love or intimate love. Uh, you're not going to find it in the New Testament, because in Jesus' culture, it had been um, devalued to a place of something that was dirty. So it would be like if I came in here and dropped the F-bomb. You know what I'm talking about, but it's not good. Now, see, it fits right into the different culture and different missionaries have in different ways. So since you're more comfortable in that area, do you want to come say this word again? Because I, I, I feel convicted. No? No? Okay. Cindy? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> so, eros is one. The other one, I do not know how to pronounce. Shocker. But it's basically the word stewards without the A. So, like, if you have a steward on your flight or your cruise ship, whatever. So, S-T-E-W-R-D-S. And that's a family love. That would be referring to your brother, your sister, to your child. The third one would be this, philium. I believe I have this spelling down right, but I could be wrong. P-H-I-L-E-A-M. That is deep emotional love. No. Okay, ready? P-H-I-L-E-A-M. It's actually where we get Philadelphia from, is from that, that word, which is shockingly because it's not after family love because it's supposed to be brotherly love, but it's still deep love. It's the city of deep love. Uh, so for someone that's outside my family that I love, whoever that might be a mentor or somebody that you care about, somebody who raised you. Um, and then the fourth one is this, agape. A-G-A-P-E. Agape. And agape is divine love. Agape is divine love. Uh, it's the way that he loves. It's unwarranted love. It's undeserved love. It's a love that is love of his salvation. It's the love of him going to the cross is what we're called to. And that might sound insane, but if you look at Jesus' prayers right before he was arrested, he was praying for himself, he prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for those who are to come, which means you and me. And the prayer for you and me was that we would be so in unity with one another. It would be like the unity that he has with his Father. So he's growing us into, calling us into this agape love. And one of the things that gets kind of crazy, this is kind of a side note, is when we in our ministry or mission field, or you're talking to somebody, if you start confusing the loves, it can get real messed up real fast. Because you might be a young guy taking ministry to a girl that you're interested in, and like, I want Gopi love, I want her to be saved, but at the same time, man, she looks so hot today, I just would love to take her out and da-da. You're kind of confusing Eros and Agape, and they don't go together. That's just not the way it's supposed to be. So we're growing into divine love. If we're a lukewarm Christian, and I love people more than I used to be, that's still not Agape. 
That's not what he's challenging us into. We're trying to grow to be the Christ love. So this isn't like a normal sermon, like, hey, come on, Jesus loves us. Let's love each other type thing. It's hard. It's deep. It's something that he's really driving us into. Um, one of the things I love about, uh, and I, I didn't notice when I was younger. It's one of those things you probably don't until you start studying it as such. But um, the New Testament church, whenever they talked about the love of God, they all, not always, but most of the time, tied it to the cross. Like that was just how they kept themselves in the right tunes with it. I'll give you some examples. Um, if you have a U version up and running, they're there. If not, I'll, I'll read the, the scripture reference twice. You can look them up later. But one popular one, John 3.16, right? John 3.16, we know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He gave his son to pay, for, pay that price. So if, if people will accept him by acknowledging with their mouth he's the son of God and believing in their hearts he died and rose again, they can have that love. But that love was tied to the cross. This is how we know he loves us. He gave his son to the cross. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. First John 4.10. First John 4.10. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment for our sins. Romans 5.8. In Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. They always tagged it in so that they understood just how much they meant to God. And I wonder if we would not grow better in our love, if we would not grow stronger in our faith, if our testimonies wouldn't be all that much stronger if we'd started doing the same. You know, I'm $200 short of being able to pay the bills. Just sat down, went through all of it. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. But I'm going to trust my Father. God's got me. He is my provider. You know how I know that? It's because He loves me. He even took the cross for me. How different that would change our outlook in that moment if we were actually trusting God. Or in a, let's say the marriage is falling apart and things it just it doesn't feel it doesn't feel the way it used to. Oh, feelings really have so little to do with it, but it doesn't feel like it used to. Uh, there's no hope for us. You mean like the hopelessness that we, the world felt when Christ was on the cross? Because He loves you, and He's in your life, and He can lead that. He can change that. It, it's a whole different way of thinking. Beyond just like, I gotta have faith, I gotta have faith. Well, of course I'm gonna have faith. He loves me. He took the cost for me. It's something that adds into it so that our love starts moving into a new place. So, if we're talking about moving from the different types of love to agape love, uh, I'll give the note takers a couple of things to write down as possible things to be thinking about with the help of Chris. The first one is this uh, pray for yourself, which is odd because I've been feeling a, a big push from the Holy Spirit to lead us in praying for others more than ourselves. A lot of times we think about how does this apply to me instead of others. But in this case, you really should be praying for yourself because this is counterculture to everything that we know. It's counterculture to everything we want. It's counterculture to everything that we feel comfortable with. And so God help me with this. But even beyond that, the scripture tells us if we lack wisdom, what do we do? We ask and he gives. 
So give me wisdom, give me discernment, Father, because to change this gear, I have to be able to get your grace in my, in my actions, but also be able to understand some things. I need your wisdom, and I need your grace. Understanding and love together is the win. So second thing I would suggest is this. Start seeking that understanding. If you're praying for wisdom and discernment, uh, don't think that a bony, you know, one of your bushes is going to catch on fire and not be burning up and you go outside and God starts talking to you out of it. Um, if that happens, cool, let me know. I'd like to investigate that. Just make sure you weren't, you know, drinking anything first. But, the, uh, but you know, he, he can do whatever he wants to do, but that's not how he usually works, right? What it takes is the wisdom and discernment. Father, this person that I'm thinking in my head that I don't like, why don't I like him? I might not even, in all honesty, some of us know, I mean, most of us would know pretty easily, but some of us don't even remember why we don't like them. Um, so why don't I like them? Is it because they're stopping me from getting something I want? Remember, that's the whole thing around anger, or at least a big chunk of anger, is I'm angry because I'm not getting what I want. Maybe that's the case. Maybe I had a friend, uh, a Justin Hills friend, so now Mike is going to be wondering later who it is, um, that I was close to. We worked at the same uh, company together in my early 20s, uh, and she got a promotion, and it was a company that not a lot of promotions came up, so all of us wanted the promotion. But she got the promotion really quickly. There really wasn't interviews and stuff. And a lot of people were mad about it because they wanted the promotion. I wanted the promotion. And so a lot of people were like talking about it, a lot of good gossip going on about it, a lot of things going on about it. Uh, and I don't remember necessarily being a big part of that aspect, but I know I didn't stand up for it. And I know I didn't, um, you know, use what influence I have to help her uh, because I was mad. And uh, I really, this year, 30 years later, I don't know if I said anything or not. I might have. And we all got through it and moved on, but I could feel the damage in our relationship. And it was about 10 years ago, so about 20 years after it happened, I remember thinking about it, and I sent her an email or something. And uh, they said, hey, th you probably don't even remember this, but... This is something that happened back when we were working together. I just want to say, if I hurt you, I apologize. That was, that's completely on me. And the email I got back was just lovely. She goes, you have no idea how much that means to me. You really did hurt me. I was really crushed that my friend wasn't there for me. Um, and our friendship has been all the stronger the last 10 years. But it's because I was angry. So it could be, I don't like that person, or you don't like that person because of something inside you that needs to change. But it could also be, maybe, I don't know, what, they, maybe a Christian brother or a Christian sister that are being hypocritical and that have hurt you in some way. Well, now I've got a brother or I've got a sister who needs Jesus to help them in that area. We need to be able to have that tough conversation. And move those. Maybe someone who's a non-Christian that's just acting like the world. They don't know any better. Okay, maybe they need Jesus. Maybe that's what you're there for. There's a lot more to, to really think through this. Now, again, some people are just mean uh, that would be part of the summit, too. How many people just know a mean person? Again, don't point. No, you guys are, more people know mean people than that. Everybody's like, no, I'm godly now. Whatever. <laughs> There's just some mean people out there. And again, sometimes those healthy boundaries come into place, but I can still be praying for them. I can still, uh, I mean, again, if you're walking out, or you're thinking about an abusive ex-husband or an abusive ex-wife, those boundaries have got to be in place, but you can still be praying for them. You can still be looking at them. But start thinking about these things. Start getting discernment around these things on how to be able to move forward um, in this. Now, again, I don't think it's as easy. This is, um, here's the one I would struggle with the most, and prayfully it never comes to be. When you're watching the news, 
they watch on Dateline, they watch on like 2020 or whatever the case may be, and you've got uh, somebody murdered somebody else, and they're now regretful for it, and at the trial, the mom or the dad or somebody in the family is saying, I just want to let you know I forgive you, and they're crying, and they feel, um, someone does that to somebody in my family, I don't know if I would be as good of an example of Christ as the people I see on TV sometimes. Uh, that would be a tough one for me. Christ commands me. I'm not saying that I can't, don't have to struggle with these things, but that would be a, a tough one for me. Um, I think that's, when you're personally in it, it's a whole different issue. There's a, there's a guy right now, uh, I haven't overly studied this, so if I miss a point, I apologize, but the uh, Russian soldier that uh, killed an unarmed man in uh, Ukraine during this hobo, hobo, com I don't even call it conflict, during this hobo, hobo attack, um, and he's now being tried. He's the first one being tried for war crimes because uh, he killed a civilian without a weapon. And um, he's now begging for, he, he's pled guilty, and he's begging for forgiveness from the man's wife uh, for what happened. Um, again, I pray I'm never in that situation. Now on the outside, I can understand he's probably a young man from what we know about the soldiers that they're sending in, probably not trained with a lick. Probably was scared off his butt. Probably is pleading guilty and mourning because he's not a horrible villain. So with the understanding that comes in, it gives us more to work with. I'm not saying it's easier. I'm just saying it gives us more to work with. Pray for yourself. Struggle with that discernment. And then three, tough one, love him. Love him. But I don't like the person I'm thinking of in my head. I don't... It's, man, you guys can say I'm completely wrong for this one. I don't see anything in the scripture that says you have to like them. You have to love them. You have to love them. Ride with me on this, the, this thought with this. Liking someone to me is an emotion. And emotions lie to us. Emotions change. That's why I kind of had that whole thing. It doesn't feel like it used to be. Um, love, I truly believe, is a choice that I commit to and I invest into. So when Jenny and I first started dating, we liked each other. But I decided I love my wife. And uh, she decides she loves me. We have to decide it every day. Every day. Uh, you might not, not know this. this. This is some wisdom and discernment for you. I'm not always the easiest person to live with. No response? No counterpoint? Hey, daughter, stay in the corner. What? Troublesome, troublesome, but love is a choice. I just don't love her. I just don't love him like I used to. Love is a choice. Liking is not necessarily something that has to be in there. So, and here's the thing. When you love, start loving somebody, you start serving them, and you start spending time with them, you start caring about them, you start understanding them better, liking comes next. It will come natural. You don't have to force that anyways. So... Some things about that, uh, and again, the main point within all that is that you guys don't have to like me, but you have to love me. Okay. <laughs> Number four, if you love them, they should move into action. Serve them in action. When you don't understand a, a culture or a group of people or whatever group you want to put into, start hanging out with them and serve them, and you're going to start learning that you're, the, you're wrong. You're wrong. There's beauty within it. I've shared this story before. It still drives me nuts. Um, a family that used to come here a long, long time ago. None of you guys know them. Don't try to guess. And they uh, moved on to another church. And then later I was 
I was told is because um, someone in the family worked all week long with people in the poverty uh, culture. And um, that's one of the things they loved about our church is whether somebody has a million dollars or no money, you can't tell the difference, that there's, that there's a good unity. I love, I love that they said that. But the second thing they said is that since they work with people in the poverty culture all the time, they wanted to find a church where there wasn't people from the poverty culture so that they could be more comfortable on the weekends. And I said, I pray you never find a church where you're comfortable. I pray you never find it. Because there shouldn't be a church out there that doesn't, isn't taking care of one another and loving on each other and respecting one another. Um, when you start serving people that in the poverty culture, you're going to find people you laugh with, people you cry with, people that you hug on, people that you love, people you have a lot more common in thought with. That's just one example of some of the prejudices that we hold on to that hanging out with each other changes everything. So if we start serving people, then we have a change. Now, we have, I don't know, Audrey, is our vision statement on the bulletins still? They are? Okay, so if you look at your bulletins, you're going to find our vision statement. And for, you know, businessy type people, uh, you, you might know that a mission statement is over a corporation or over an entity or over a group of people that says this is what our mission is, right? And we do have a mission statement as a church. Uh, it was very easy to come up with because Christ gave it to us and we don't have to make one up. It's the Great Commission. Leading people to the Lord, baptizing and then discipling one another. Uh, I think that's the mission statement for every church. I'm not going to beat up a church if they come up with their own, but Jesus has already got us covered. That's a win. Vision statements is like a short statement of like, how do we do that as the Shepherd's Fellowship? Like if we're the thumb and the Marian churches, you doing okay? Man, she, she just yawned. Okay. The <laughs> but mind me, if you guys get bored, to talk to me about trivia night the other night. Okay. So there was, um, so for the thumb, let's say Cornerstone Alliance is the, uh, the big toe. We'll make them the big toe instead of small toe down the road. We, we both have the same mission, but we have different things that we do. So as all of us work together as a church, we impact the, the community and the, the, the world, right? So ours is, if you see it there, uh, to be a real community, and that has to do with the relational aspect of our church and the goals of our relational aspect as a, a community, to be a real community that fulfills the mission, fulfills the Great Commission, by being people of faith, displaying hope, and acting in love. Those are three very tangible things that we do. We choose to be people of faith. So if we're all stressed out all the time because every, you know, the world's crashing in on us, not going to be showing Jesus to people. We choose to, by, to act by faith. We display hope through that faith, through that salvation. And we act in love, which means we serve others. We do tangible things to love on others in the name of Christ. And when we do that, that's when we start having missions, and that's when we start getting closer to Christ's unity amongst us and what we're reaching out to within the world. Uh, this is so foundational that if you're sitting there thinking, man, it's been a long time since I led somebody to Jesus, this is one of the reasons why maybe you haven't, if this is an area that you struggled in. Um, if you're thinking, man, it's been a long time since I talked to anybody about spirituality or my testimony, or, this might be. There's other ways too, but this might be something that you're struggling with is loving people the way that Christ loves you. It just comes down to that simple. So with that, uh, Mike, I'll go ahead and bring you up. But let me, let me tell you a story that I think kind of brings this together. And this is a true story from quite some time ago. For, so for the people who like uh, 1883, this TV show, it's kind of in that era of things when we're, we're you know, the, the, the Caucasian people are taken into the West and uh, Native Americans are not necessarily... Uh, 
having good reason to trust us and a lot of uh, a lot of emotions are going on and um, within that there were mission groups that would go out to Native Americans and try to uh, bring Jesus into this this new world and there was this one uh, Navajo tribe that had a young lady in it that became very very ill and um, as part of their culture at the time they did everything they could but then when it was evident that she was pretty much on her deathbed, they took her out into the desert and laid her down and left her for her to have her peace to be able to, to die. And uh, after about two days of being exposed to the elements, the uh, mission group found her and they brought her uh, to the doctor. There's a doctor that was with, uh, with these mission groups as well. And it took like three weeks to get her to a point where she was awake again. Like it was in a coma type situation. And um, at the end of the three weeks, she woke up enough to realize that she was someplace where a lot of the mission people were Navajo, uh, but that there was white people around her, and it freaked her out real bad, understandably. And especially was having troubles with let, trusting the doctor to do anything to her, even though he had brought her back to at least being awake. And so for about another two or three weeks, missionary people are working with her, the doctor's working with her, she's getting better. And it comes to a point where one of the missionaries asks her, what do you think about Jesus? What do you do with this? And again, I advocate over and over again, this is the most important question that you can ask somebody. There's so many of us are really comfortable talking about our testimony or about our church or about this or that. Um, but the conversation always changes when you get done talking about Jesus and say, what do you, what do you think about that? What are you going to do with that? I've, I've seen people like, oh, okay. Ooh, uh, well, I guess. And it just kind of brings it to the forefront so they can figure it out. And she, she goes, well, and she was thinking, and the doctor walked in. She said, if Jesus is anything like that doctor, I can trust him with every day of the rest of my life. That's our purpose here. That's our purpose here. Guys, we're missing it. In some areas, we're missing it. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.